0: Well, good evening. You guys doing well? Thank you, Raj. Good to see all of you. Finally got a little rain, which is actually a good thing after weeks of not having any. Well, we can open up in our Bibles to First Peter, and in First Peter and chapter 5, last chapter, 1 Peter. Where we left off last week, we were in verse 5, 1 Peter 5, 5. And as we get to the end of this book, Peter begins to share a number of exhortations based on the background he's already shared in this book. So while we were able to go through larger sections of this book uh, in our studies rather quickly as he set the stage and gave information, he now gets to these exhortations, and they're incredibly practical. And because they're so practical, You don't want to rush through them. So, like, for example, last week we only looked at just four verses, but there was so much in there that, you know, it took our whole evening to do that. The same is true, and it's not because we're going slowly. It's because the verses themselves are so packed with great teaching, again, based on the previous uh, background of this book, that we don't want to rush through the end just because it's a few verses. In fact, tonight, we're just going to look at verses 5 through 7. I could take any one of these verses— and spend an entire evening on them, but we're just going to look at verses five, six, and seven, because there's so much there. So, with that, let's open up in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get into our study in 1 Peter chapter five, verse five. Lord Heavenly Father, we come to you as always, asking for you to continue to be gracious and merciful to us, to speak to us, to help us to uh, take your word, apply it to our hearts, and as you anointed Peter by your Spirit to share from. Your heart to our hearts, we ask that we would receive what's on your heart for us this evening. Speak to each of us individually. Help us to understand your love for us, but also to understand uh, that we can rely on you, that we can trust you. And the darker the days get, the more we need to be reminded that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, and that we can put our faith and trust in you. So help us to do that this evening, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm going to read the section we're going to look at this evening, uh, starting in verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, quoting from uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So much there. So much there. You see, we looked at last week the fact that leaders, leaders in the church, pastors, are called to serve the body. And those verses taught us the importance of servant leadership. But now, as Peter continues to teach on the subject of serving one another, he calls the saints, all of the saints, not just the leaders, but in this case he says young men, but of course, young men and women, all of us are included as we get to the next verse here, are included in his exhortation, his encouragement to serve one another. So you see, you can say, well, the leaders are there to serve the body, but each of us are here to serve one another. I think the point of mentioning that leaders are called to serve is is that they understand that being a leader doesn't mean you're not a servant. In fact, it means you're a greater servant, as Jesus taught us. But that doesn't take away from the fact that servants are called to serve, that brothers and sisters in the faith, that we're called to serve one another. And Peter calls the saints to serve one another and to do it in humility, in humility. You know, uh, in verse 5, the first part, he says it this way, young men in the same way be submissive. To, to those who are older. And essentially what he's saying, having spoken to the older men, the elders, he says, young men, you, have, you need to do the same thing. It's not just the elders who are to serve, you are to serve as well. In the same way, he says, in the same way as the older men, young men should be submissive to those who are older. That is, serve those who are serving you. Serve those who are serving you you. Now, that's a very important principle, and one we need to remember in church leadership. As you serve in a ministry, let's say Sunday school ministry, and, you know, the the head teacher of the primaries or the preschool, the toddlers, is your immediate servant leader, and, and you're serving on that schedule. Well, they're serving you by leading, and you're serving them And together you're serving the children, and therefore the parents and everyone within the church. So the idea is we're really just leading, yes, but we're serving. And that's what he wants them to understand. And you do that in humility, appealing to those young men that were serving in the early church. And in the early church, the older men led through servant leadership. The younger men served and did what needed to be done uh, practically, oftentimes. Now, rulers, we talked about this last week. Rulers were usually selected by the people from the elderly men in ancient times. That's the kind of culture that exists to this day in the Middle East. Uh, We talked about the fact that the elders, or those who are older, are are those who presided over the church as elders. And the term bishop, or elders, or presbyters, which is the translation of the word elder, uh, or actually the Greek word for elder, uh, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. So whether we talk about a pastor, or an elder, or a bishop, we're really talking about a servant leader. And so, what do those who are not servant leaders do? They follow the example of the servant leaders. So, there's really no excuse. We're all called to serve and to do so with humility and to be submissive to one another. He said that previously. Here we've read it, and, and to do so in submission to those who are older. That is a very important principle because I've seen, not here, but I've seen in churches, Uh, When someone's given a position of authority, sometimes the people serving under that leader either try to undermine the leader or just, quite frankly, don't want to listen. And they decide, yeah, 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 and they do it their own way. That's not being submissive. You know, if the leader chooses to do something that you disagree with, purely on the basis of philosophy or, you know, the way they want to do something... You can certainly appeal to them, but at the end of the day, that servant leader is put in a position of authority to make decisions. And I guarantee you're not going to make every, de- or you're not going to like every decision that every leader makes. I can promise you that a significant number of people didn't like some of the, the decisions we made as a leadership team, and myself included, uh, through, throughout COVID. We had to make decisions based on the Lord's leading And there was no possible way to make everyone happy. That wasn't even our goal. We would have failed if it was. We simply made decisions to do what we felt the Lord was calling us to do. And the goal of pleasing everyone was never even on the table. And there were some people who, when we shared with them our decision on masks or our approach to things and service and Sunday school, they chose not to submit. And you know what? That is their prerogative. Nobody should submit if they don't feel comfortable submitting. I really don't think anyone should be here if they're uncomfortable. But we know that many of you are, and you're here tonight, and and I'm grateful for that. But those aren't easy decisions to make. And believe it or not, sometimes pastors actually get it wrong, and they have to modify or adjust their approach. And we've had to do that too, not because so much we've gotten it wrong, but because we're trying to serve a body in a way where everyone's needs are met as much as possible. And so we've modified a little here or there to try to, to do that. But listen, when your leaders make decisions, they're not trying to harm you Well, that you hope that they're good leaders and they're servants. They're trying to help you. And, and, and what you do by submitting to their leadership within reason is support them and help them. They may need to make another decision or modify their decisions. But causing a ruckus just because you don't like a decision someone makes, that, that's not good for the body of Christ. You try sitting in the captain's chair. It's not a whole lot of fun sometimes, some of the decisions you have to make. And it can be scary, and and you make the decision trusting in God and the leadership you have and the people you're accountable to, but, you know, not everyone likes it. So submission is something that we need to give to our servant leaders in order to help them do what God has called them to do. But let me also say, if you're ever uncomfortable submitting to a decision or if you feel it violates your convictions or dare I say, violate scripture, you should have that conversation with the leader. But if it doesn't violate scripture and it's just really a matter of leadership or an opinion or an approach, it's best to submit. If you can't, for conscience sake, you just can't, then I respect a person's decision not to submit and maybe, you know, they can't be a part of whatever it is we're doing. I respect that as well. What I don't respect is someone undermining, hanging around, undermining a decision that's that's been made by a, a pastor or assistant pastor or Sunday school teacher and not confronting it. Because biblically, if you have a problem, you confront it, you deal with it, you look for an explanation. Those are all valid approaches. What's not valid is backbiting, slandering, gossiping, undermining, causing division. That never works. And I've always said, you know, if you go to a church and you just can't go there anymore, do the leader a favor and don't go anymore. Don't hang around causing problems if you really are that unhappy. So anyway, it's not always easy to be in a position of leadership. And the best thing we can do for our leaders is submit to their leadership, again, with the caveat or concern being not to violate Scripture or your conscience, okay? Now, having said that, he appeals to all those within the early church. He calls them to do this submission and to do so with humility. Look what he says. This is very interesting. I I find Peter's language uh, just really enjoyable to to read in English because coming from a very good Greek, uh, helped, Peter was helped by Silvanus, I believe, in in writing this, but uh, it's good Greek, and so the language is quite interesting and very descriptive. When he says it this way, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Quoting from Proverbs 3. He's saying clothe yourselves with humility. Now that sounds good to us, but in the original language, it means to wear the white scarf or apron of a slave. Sometimes when you're in a fancy restaurant, well, all kinds of restaurants, but typically a fancy restaurant, you'll, you'll notice... Uh, the kitchen staff or maybe even the wait staff will be dressed in some type of an apron or something that distinguishes them uh, from the busboys or someone else. Or even the busboys may end up wearing this apron. And, and you look at it and you say, oh, okay, they're the people that are serving me, right? And they're doing so in humility. And, and a good restaurateur knows that, you know, the customer is always right. You're trying to, to, to please the customer who's purchasing a meal and coming out for an enjoyable evening, let's say. So they wear the apron and it's clothing themselves with humility. Well, in the ancient world, those who were slaves would wear a white scarf or an apron and it distinguished them as a servant or a slave. The scarf was fastened to the belt of the vest to distinguish slaves from free men. This apron was worn by slaves to keep clean while working, it was a humble garment. And so he metaphorically encourages them to serve one another in humility by clothing themselves with humility, that is, putting on the clothes of a servant, the apron that would distinguish them as a slave. And I think that's great counsel, to remember that when we're in the church, we are here to serve. You know, our uh, nursery caregivers and some of our toddlers' workers actually wear a red apron. And it distinguishes them as serving the children and the parents and our our congregation. Uh, A number of other ministries, they'll wear polo shirts or T-shirts that have, uh, they're usually red. Some of our servants wear black if they're in the uh, uh, operations ministry. But all of that identifies them. It's not a uniform. It identifies them that they're there to serve. So when visitors or parents are looking for someone to direct them, they see the shirt, they see the apron, they know that person can serve them. So understand, if you see someone wearing a shirt, we don't just sell them online, you know. Those those are shirts that are given to our servants so that they can serve you, us. Amen? So that's what we're talking about. That's what Peter's talking about. Those in authority were especially called to serve one another in humility. And Jesus taught that servant leadership in contrast to the proud Pharisees who wouldn't get their hands dirty. And He had washed Peter's feet as a servant, teaching him by example. All that Jesus did, all that Jesus lived, was to teach servant leadership. So there's simply no other type of leadership in the church. It's only servant leadership. God extends his all-sufficient grace to any that will humbly give their heart to him. And as we read there from Proverbs 3.34, The proud are opposed by God because they refuse to submit to God. It's not that God opposes them just because he wants to. The proud won't submit. By definition, a proud person doesn't submit. So the proud are opposed by God because they refuse to submit. However, the humble are given God's grace because they are willing to submit. So if you want to experience God's grace, it's through humility, not through pride. In fact, James also, in addition to Peter, quotes from this verse to support this essential spiritual truth that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the goal is to be humble. So you see what Peter is saying? Leaders, young men, all of you, serve, be submissive, serve one another, do so with humility as a servant. This is what it means to lead. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful words, beautiful pictures that Peter has painted for us to take home, put in our hearts, and apply to our lives. Now, he encourages them also, not just to be submissive and humble to one another, but probably even more importantly, and probably the key to being humble with other people, is to be humble before God. And so he goes on to say in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now that's a very, very important approach. In fact, I would say rather than working on being humble with others, humble yourself before God, the inevitable result will be humility with others, serving others. If you're humble before God, you're going to love others as yourself. You're going to take the message of God's grace apply it to your heart, and then live it out in the presence of others. So this is really where we want to focus our efforts. We don't want to go around trying to be humble with others. That's phony, isn't it? You ever seen somebody go out of their way to try to be humble? Uh, Sometimes when you do go to a restaurant, you'll have somebody that, you know, I mean, this is a restaurant, right? So they're they're hoping for a big tip, and so they're very helpful. Hey, listen, They're working. I respect that. And I tip based on someone's approach. But if if I've got somebody that's proud, like, I I tell them what I want they say, no, you don't want that. You know, like, that's not what I'm looking for at a restaurant. Listen, in the church, what we're looking for is those who would serve one another, but you can't be a phony about it. Oh, brother, oh, sister, you know, oh, no, you're so right. No, listen, let it be sincere. How does it become sincere? Because you first start by being humble before God. And then, because you're humble before God, you're going to be humble with others. So this is where you need to extend or or, uh, take your effort forward. You need to just expend your energy in this way. Humbling yourself before God, the inevitable result will be humility with others. So when he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, how do we do that? How do we make ourselves humble? That's not so easy, is it? Well, I want to talk to you a little bit about what that means, to be humble before God. And to help this conversation this evening, we've read what Peter has to say. Let's remember that uh, James also quoted this verse. And uh, that is the previous verse, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, he actually quoted the humble yourselves as well. Um, but when we read what James had to say, let me get to... Um, James here. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, we studied it a couple of months ago, but this is what we read. He said, after saying the same thing, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, he says, submit yourselves then, or as a result, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourselves before the Lord that, and he will lift you up. So both men very much on the same page as far as humility and humbling yourself before God. When we take the words of James and the words of Peter, we put them together, we learn some things about being a humble person. Well, you can't humble yourself if you don't know what that means. James gives us a little bit more information in terms of what it means to be humble But essentially, I'm going to give you about six different things that I've observed in a humble person. First of all, a humble person willingly submits himself or herself to God's majesty by his grace. There's no question about whether God is worthy to be praised or to be submitted to. There's not that struggle. A person who's humble recognizes God is God and he's not, she's not. There is that understanding that we submit ourselves to God's majesty by His grace. A humble person would never say anything like, well, I have a problem with that, as it relates to God's word. Or, well, I don't know about that. I'm not ready to make that decision. Well, you know, pray for me because I don't really agree with that. That's not a humble person. A humble person clearly submits himself or herself to God's majesty by his grace, and he recognizes, she recognizes that, you know, it's, it's difficult at times, but God is right. God is true. God's way is right, and we follow God's way, his will, his word. Secondly, a humble person victoriously resists the devil, as James tells us, but he does it in God's strength, and he does it through faith. We're going to talk a little bit about this next week here on Wednesday night, when we talk about the, the roaring lion who seeks to devour satan who who comes after us and but for now let's just remember that a humble person victoriously resists the devil in god's strength and does so through faith so when the devil tempts us and we're tempted by the world our flesh and the devil when we see what evil forces would try to get us to do the humble person the humble person resists that yeah it's humility that gives you the strength to be victorious over sin it's not pride If anyone thinks he's strong, let him take heed, lest he fall, Paul says. See, if you think you're something, you're nothing anyway, but you'll find out very quickly how much of a nothing you are. Like, Anthony sings that song, I'm just a nobody, you know? We are, but if you know that, then you're humble. If you don't really believe that, well, then you're proud. And you're not going to be able to resist the devil because pride is his most potent weapon. If the devil can keep you from being humble, he can get you to do anything he wants. Seriously. Pride is, well, as the scripture says, pride comes before haughtiness or comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So pride is the enemy of our souls. Humility is the strength we receive in the spirit to be victorious. A humble person victoriously resists the devil in God's strength, but he does so through faith. The devil wants us to surrender to our sinful nature and to our pride. He wants you to take your life back. He wants you to be in control. He wants you to be a self-made woman, a self-made man. He wants you to stand up and talk about how good you are. That's what he's trying to get you to do. He's working to bring failure in your life spiritually. That's the goal. So by admitting that in your own strength you're a failure, you take the weapon out of his hand. And I can tell you, a training in self-defense, the goal of a self-defense situation, self-preservation you might call it, is to eliminate the threat. The easiest way to eliminate the threat is to leave. If you can get away from a situation that that is threatening, you get away from it, that's the best thing you can do. If you're attacked and you need to defend yourself and protect yourself, you do that. If someone has a weapon, you try to get the weapon out of their hand or incapacitate them so that they can't do any harm to you. You're trying to eliminate the threat. How does that happen? Well, in the case of resisting the devil, take the weapon out of his hand. How do you do that? Well, it's not a pitchfork. See, many people look at the devil and they think, oh, he comes after me with a pitchfork. No, He comes after you with pride. The more he can make you feel good in your own strength, the more he can weaponize your pride against you. So why don't we start with humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord that he might lift us up. How do we do that? Lord, I'm nothing without you. I can't do anything. Without you, I'm lost. I'm a wreck. I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm the least of the apostles. These are the things that the true servant leaders understood about themselves. Therefore, in their weakness, they were made, what, strong. So that's one of the ways, we've been talking about here, we've gotten through two of them, but that's one of the ways that you can actually humble yourself by recognizing you don't have what what it takes to be victorious, to be humble in God's strength. Now, a humble person, thirdly, boldly enters God's presence with assurance. What? Yeah! Yeah! A humble person can boldly enter God's presence with assurance, not in themselves. Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 10 tell us that we can enter the throne of grace with boldness and confidence, coming to God for help in our time of need. Now, how can we do that? Again, in humility. We know we don't belong there. We know we have no right to be there at the master's table. We know that that's not something we've earned or that we merit. So it takes humility to show up. You know, when someone says, uh, you know, I, I'd like to bless you, and your attitude is, well, I could not, you know, I, I don't deserve that, you're proud. When you, when you know you don't deserve it and you receive it gracefully, you're humble. Because you recognize you don't deserve it and you receive the blessing anyway, but you don't stop for a minute and say, well, yeah, I, I did kind of deserve it. It's about time you realize how good I am. It's about time you realize I'm, I'm worth every gift you could give me. That's, that would be pride. No, it's this idea of, I don't deserve this but you know what? Thank you. That's God's grace. So when we humble ourselves, it's boldly entering God's presence, knowing we don't belong there, but God has welcomed us there in Jesus Christ. It takes humility to come before God in prayer. It takes humility to come into God's presence in praise and worship. Fourthly, A humble person receives forgiveness by God's mercy through confession. You know how many people go unforgiven because they can't admit they're wrong? I mean, in relationships, this happens all the time. In in peer-to-peer or human relationships. People don't get along because one person can't extend forgiveness or one person can't receive forgiveness or both. Right? In order for the relationship to be restored, one person has to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And the other has to say, of course, you're forgiven. And then it's restored. Now, with God, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But that doesn't happen if you don't confess your sins. You can't be restored to a right relationship with God if you don't admit your need for God. So a humble person receives forgiveness. They don't deserve it. It's not by our our own merit. It's by God's grace. So we talk about humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. What does that mean? This is what it means. I'm going through a list of things that describe what it means to humble yourself. Did you notice that all of them really don't require any effort on your part? That all of them really just require you acknowledging who God is and submitting to him and allowing him to love you. Let's continue. Receiving forgiveness by God's grace, by God's mercy through confession. Fifth, A humble person laments his sinful condition, her sinful condition. According to God's word, they recognize that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They recognize, you know what, I am a sinner. And it doesn't make them happy to say it. But they don't dare not say it because it's true. You see, when you say, oh Lord, I'm a sinner, that's humility. We we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago. Uh on a Sunday morning, and Pastor Pete was with us this last Sunday, and he talked about it as well, the fact that when someone's struggling with addiction or in recovery, they can't get any victory until they raise their hand, stand up, and say, my name is such and such, and I have a problem. You think that takes humility? I think it takes a lot of humility to stand up in front of a group of people and say, I have a problem with drugs, alcohol, pornography. I have a problem with uh, relationships. I have a problem with this. I have a problem with that. It takes a lot, not of strength. So you might say, oh, he's a very strong individual to be able to do that. No, actually, that person is humble because they're willing to admit the truth. It takes a very humble... How do you do that? Admitting the truth about yourself. But it starts with lamenting your sinful condition. You're just not satisfied with continuing in secret. You're just not satisfied... uh, celebrating your sin anymore it kills you inside and so you lament it you weep you wail as James says and that's according to God's word because God's word says you're a sinner and what sin is and you look at your life and you say yes I'm a sinner and I do this this sin or that sin that's what a humble person does we must grieve for our soul's fascination with worldly luxury and earthly comfort So many times we think of sin as like doing something, hurting somebody or doing something uh, in the way of lust. But you know, just being obsessed with self is sin. Just being obsessed with self. You're all about your own luxury, your own comfort. You could be taking care of the needs of your family, but you got to have that Mercedes. You know, you could be doing something good for others, but got to get that new outfit. You know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a nice car or a nice outfit, but when you put those things over helping others and those you're responsible for, at that point, you're vain. You're proud. You're not humble. A humble person says, how can I, how can I drive around in this car when my mom doesn't even have one? i got to take care of my family. I gotta, you know, so we got to really grieve that it's so easy for us to be fascinated with worldly luxury and earthly comfort. I mean, right? We love ourselves. You put on a new outfit and it looks good and you're like, oh man, I look good in this. You get behind the wheel of a car. When I was a kid, I used to go down to Belmar and not for good purposes, They were nefarious purposes, but one of the things that I used to do is I'd go to this car dealership. They had these like foreign cars like Lotuses and Ferraris and Maseratis and I would just go and sometimes one of the cars would be open and I would just sit in it, and I'd be like, oh man, this, this car was made for me. I look good in this car. It is so easy to be fascinated, for our souls to be fascinated with luxury and comfort. We must grieve, we must mourn for our soul's sinful nature and rebellious pride. Don't be happy about it. A humble person is saddened by it. And we must wail, as James says, wail for the souls of others, still caught up in the web of sin, like we were, hopefully were, maybe still are. Finally, a humble person cries out to God, Cries out to God in desperation and he's saved by him because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, when you recognize all these things and your answer is, well, I just got to go to a self improvement program. They got this course at the county college, and if I do it for six weeks, I'll be a better person. That's pride. How about this? How about humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up? How about. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Crying out to God. Listen, the number one definition for a humble person is they look to God. So that's what it means, pure and simple. Actually, maybe not so pure and simple. kind of elaborate. But basically what it means is that's a humble person. When you humble yourself, that's what you're going for. That's how your life should be lived. A humble person cries out to God. Okay, then we get to this last verse, and we'll end here. It's in verse 7 that he says this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And yeah, nobody's had anxiety this last year, right? Nobody, right? It's been such a peaceful year. None of us have had to deal with anxiety. I mean, people who were taking medication for anxiety had to take more. People, people who didn't take medication for anxiety, many of them, and I'm, I'm hoping, not, I'm not talking about Christians, but many of them... Had to start taking that medication. And, and and some of us just didn't even know how to deal with some of the anxiety we had to deal with. All of us were struggling. Come on, let's be honest. There was a lot of anxiety. At one point, we were afraid to go out. Then we were afraid to touch anything. Then we were afraid, Who? Oh, I don't want to shake anybody's hand. And we are afraid to breathe the same air as someone else. I mean, anxiety? Listen, I think we know something about anxiety. But it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, I've been holding on to that verse for a year, over a year. Actually, most of my life, but especially this last year. Whatever anxiety I've had, he says, well, cast all my anxieties. Some translations say cares, but anxiety is a much better word and more accurate. Cast all your anxieties on him because, why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. If we had only just remembered that more often over this last year, that God is caring for us, that we don't need to be so concerned Now, being wise is good. Not being reckless. Nobody's suggesting you just go out there and say, breathe on me. I don't believe that I can get sick. No, I'm not saying that. But even though you were really anxious and, and, and you tried not to get sick, I can tell you probably the majority of the people in this room did get sick anyway, right? So what did the anxiety get you? Probably didn't make it any better. Probably made it more difficult. And it didn't make you any healthier either. In fact you can get so stressed out and so anxious that you actually become sick in so many ways. Not just like ulcers and stuff, but it actually, I don't know if you know this, but your immune system relies on a lack of stress. You overstress your body, you overtax your body, your adrenal glands, what happens? You actually become more prone to sickness. So rather than being anxious... We should cast our cares on him, and actually, it's the best thing you can do for your immune system physically. So it's kind of funny how we do the one thing we shouldn't do in the face of stress. I, people running around like you know, Pharisees in the marketplace, oh, unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Those people probably got sick just simply because they freaked themselves out. Worrying about getting sick isn't going to keep you healthy. In fact, it'll probably get you sick. So can I just suggest that we take the approach not to be foolish or reckless or, you know, silly or don't do the right thing. How about just trusting God? Imagine that. What if if we did that, right? And if you get sick, trust that God will get you through it. You know, we've been doing this for for millennia. I mean, it's not like it's a a new thing. I mean, trusting God and believing that God will protect you. And when he doesn't, he'll get you healthy, you know. And if you get sick. But somehow this last year, the goal was to somehow prevent yourself from having any problems or getting sick, and that's just not realistic. It never was. So cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Listen, this encourages us to be dependent upon God, not just humble before God, dependent upon God. And by the way, being dependent upon God is being humble. Trusting God, being dependent upon God. Listen, I don't need a vaccine because I'm a healthy person, but I'll tell you this, even if I did have a vaccine, I wouldn't put my trust in it. Still going to put my trust in God. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I guess I received vaccines when I was in school, you know. But I don't remember saying, oh, thank God I have those vaccines. Oh, thank God I have those vaccines. I never put my trust in anything like that. I put my trust in God. So, we can trust him, amen, with all the anxieties and cares that so easily distract us. I would say the other word that came to mind as I thought about this last year was not just anxiety but distraction. We have been so distracted by the baloney that's been going on in our world politically, and oh my goodness, it's just baloney. it's just you know, I know you thought I was going to say another word, right? But you know what? It really is baloney. It really is just just nonsense, it's just garbage and And you know something. It, It distracts us from what's important. And the devil can also do this. Throw something over there, gets your attention, and you forget about what you really should be doing, and that is trusting God and being dependent upon him. So when I read, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, you know the verse I think about actually too, and I'm going to read them and then I'm just going to comment on a few things and then we'll close, but uh, it's amazing to me because I love these verses. In verse 5 of Proverbs chapter 3, We learn, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight, or he will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. By the way, your bones and the marrow in your bones is your immune system. I don't think they understood that at that time, but God did and does. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Those are wonderful verses. I remember memorizing that section of scripture because it just really needed to stay in my heart. We can trust Him. Now, what is one of the things we're told trusting Him will bring? When we trust Him with all the anxieties and cares that so easily distract us, we get direction for our lives. You know, one of the things I hear as a pastor more than anything, oh, pastor, I don't know, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. You're lacking direction. How do you get direction? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and He will, right? Lean out on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will what? Direct your paths. You need to trust in God completely. Don't trust in yourself at all. Live a life of obedience. Acknowledge him in all your ways. That means, you know, actually do what you know. And you know what happens when you do what you know? You know what to do. Do what you know and you'll know what to do. You may not know everything you need to do, but if you do what you do know, you'll know what to do when you're supposed to do it. Don't ask me to say that again. So live a life of obedience. He'll direct you according to his will. Another thing, health for our bodies. I've already been talking about this. We'll bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. I just love that description. Notice he says to do this, do not be wise in your own. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Uh, fear the Lord, shun evil. That is, respect God and don't do what's wrong. And basically, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And that's what we've been trying to achieve this last year through human means. Instead of trusting God. See, I think the church would have been better off just trusting God than trying to take into their own hands, keeping everybody healthy. I'm not saying we should have been reckless ever, and we weren't. But when you're relying on the CDC instead of Jesus Christ, there's something wrong. (laughs) The CDC is not going to save your soul. So I would encourage you in the future, should we go through something like this again, to look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of your faith. Don't rely on your own wisdom. Rely on the Lord's wisdom. And then what does the devil do? He takes us out of church so we're not receiving God's wisdom. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of help that was, and how smart was that? Not very. Living in this way will promote health. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not bragging. This last year, I have got healthier than I was ever before. I took up martial arts. I started working out more than I've always worked out. I've always been healthy. I've always eaten, pretty much always eaten right, especially over the last few decades. And, you know, worked out. But this last year, especially since the fall, I'm healthier. I mean, I'm 56 years old, and I'm healthier than I've ever been before. I feel great. Okay? Now, why is that? It's not because I go to the dojo twice a week. It's because I've been trusting God in an anxious time. And how do I do that? I've been in church every Sunday. (laughs) I've been here. So I'm telling you, whether you believe it or not, living in this way, trusting God with your anxieties will promote health. And over those times when I got a little anxious, I didn't feel very well. It will also, check this out, it will also, check this out, bring prosperity in your work. Another thing we were really strained with over the last year, in Proverbs, back in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, read it already, uh, it says, then, uh, well, it says, honor the Lord with your wealth. You've got to trust God to uh, continue to give during a difficult time. Uh, with the first fruits of all your crops. That's what they did. They honored the Lord. And notice, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Uh, that is, God provides for your needs. And so... Uh, we certainly experience that here at the church. We've experienced this in our lives, my wife and I. Many of you have as well. God has provided for our needs, not the government. That stimulus check might have been marginally helpful, but did that really get you through this last year? Because I don't think so. I don't think it was nearly enough for some people. And for others, they didn't need it. We put our trust in God. Listen, obey the Lord through giving. Okay, that's what the is telling us. Obey the Lord through giving. Trust the Lord with your first fruits. That is, what God has blessed you with, be a blessing with, and he'll abundantly provide for your needs. You know this. You know this. And I have to say, our fellowship, uh, people continued to give throughout the whole year. I mean, we certainly didn't ask. And uh, I actually, going into the, you know, last March, uh, going into this, this time period that we lived through, I just accepted the fact. Well, we've got a little savings. We'll just have to use that to pay of our pay all of our bills. We'll continue to support our missionaries, and I don't feel comfortable asking anybody for money. And then when we had our first outdoor service, someone came to me and said, "Where's the box?" I didn't even put the box out. I didn't. We're not going to put the box out. People have needs right now. This isn't a time to put the box out. I'm thinking. But I forgot what God's word says, (laughs) honor the Lord with your wealth. And there were people that understood that truth. They wanted the box. So we put the box out. We never skipped a beat. God continued to provide for his work because people understood how important it is to trust God to honor him with your wealth. So he will give you prosperity in your work, health for your body, direction for your life. And finally, I like this, I like this, discipline. We talked about that in verses 11 and 12 of Proverbs 3. Recognize that the Lord's discipline is love. I'll tell you, I I get a lot of discipline in the dojo. I get a lot of it. And some of it's not always pleasant. You know, you work really hard learning something, and then you present it, and you're feeling kind of, wow, man, I really nailed it. And, you know, the senseis know that. They see that in your heart. So what do they do? They come over and humble you a little bit. They tell you, like, I had one time I I finished my kata and and sensei came over and he did this with my hand. He just kind of, beep like that. That's all that was wrong. But he had to point that out. It's hard to be proud when you get these little corrections all the time. Well, the Lord is constantly disciplining us. Recognize this as love. If you don't care, you don't discipline your children, right? If you don't care about them, let them go buck wild. Who cares? We're in the supermarket. Who cares if they're running around the Target or if they're running around the Costco? No. If you love your children, you're going to discipline them. And God will lovingly teach you as his child and discipline you. I've learned to really appreciate discipline. And you should as well, as Proverbs 3 tells us. So listen, we can find peace. And we find peace through these things. And finally, as we close through prayer. I know a lot of you were praying. Uh, We've got more prayer meetings on the calendar now than we've ever had before. We got midday prayer on Zoom, which is working out well for a lot of people who just want to kind of stop in and pray. There's a Sunday night prayer meeting that Pastor Sal leads uh, on Zoom. Uh, There's Bible studies on Zoom. There's a lot of prayer going on. That was not the case before COVID. Just telling you, that wasn't the case. We had a couple of get-togethers throughout the week, but not like it is now. And that's a good thing. Let me read one last scripture to you, and then we'll close. In uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, kind of dealing with anxiety again. Do not be anxious, in verse uh, 6 of chapter 4 in the book of Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, and that means you ain't no way gonna be able to understand it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, prayer is the thing I wanna add to everything we talked about in terms of casting your anxieties uh, on Him. Uh, well, we talked about a lot of it, but we need to get to this one point, and that is prayer. Being anxious about our circumstances does change them. What? Yeah, makes them worse. People say, oh, worrying doesn't make any, it doesn't change anything. Oh, worrying makes it worse. that will make it better. There's really nothing you can do to make it better, but you can make it worse. We can choose to be anxious about anything or pray about everything. I would take option number two. God wants us to ask him to resolve our concerns and meet our needs. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to be thankful and acknowledge his goodness toward us. This is all humility. Only God's peace can restore our joy when we're facing difficult circumstances. It is spiritual. It is not something you can explain or describe. It is powerful and able to protect you from fear and anxiety. You know, when it says, guard your heart and your mind, okay, remember that word guard? I love this language here. Back in uh, Philippians, he says it this way. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One last picture as we close. The word guard was translated keep. In fact, in the Old English, you'll see keep your hearts and your minds. Do you know what a keep was? A keep was a small tower placed in front of a large castle. It was a small tower placed in front of a large castle. And it was there to protect the castle. The castle is your heart and your mind. The peace of God is the small tower in front of it. What a beautiful picture. Brothers and sisters, we can trust him because he loves us and he cares for us. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and giving us a real good definition of what it means to humble ourselves. Lord, we desire to have your peace, which will guard our hearts and our minds. We desire to trust you and look for you or to you for direction. We look to you and ask you to help us, give us prosperity as we honor you. Oh, Lord God, give us health as we trust you. Help us to accept and appreciate discipline that comes from you. All these things, Lord. May we cast all of our cares on you, all of our anxieties, knowing that you care for us. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.